0: We would like to advise that the following program may contain real news, occasional philosophy and ideas that may offend some listeners. The speed, visibility and hype around chat GPT, mid-journey, dolly, stable diffusion, large language models means that we must, must talk again about generative AI.
1: Yeah, we're discussing that article, you know, in your stream, like really any article recently.
0: Pretty (laughs) much. one. (laughs) (laughs) It's been on the front page of everything from the New York Times to The Economist.
1: Anything. Women's Weekly, Vogue, You Pick It, ChatGPT, generative AI, and sometimes... You know, generative AI outputs images are literally on the front pages of magazines.
0: Okay, we really, really need to do this. Well, let's do this.
1: From the University of Sydney Business School, this is Sydney Business Insights, an initiative that explores the future of business. And you're listening to The Future This Week, where Sandra Peter and Kai Rima sit down every week to rethink trends in technology and business.
0: There's been a lot of conversation, as we said, around generative AI, and especially the need to upskill, reskill, rethink what we do and how we do it. And everything from, you know, superb utopian scenarios of increased productivity to dystopian misinformation, disinformation, they're coming for our jobs again, again. Still? (laughs) Still. We've had a lot of questions actually coming in around generative AI. So I think we'll try to tackle a few of those. And probably the best place to start is, what is it? Well, let's
1: not forget that generative AI, for all its hype, speed of development and visibility, is one part of AI, right? So let's make it clear that a lot of organizations will still build bespoke AI, use their own data sets to solve problems. There's still going to be a lot of business applications of the kind of AI that you train yourself, but generative AI, these big models that are available from companies such as OpenAI, uh, so think Google, chat
0: GPT, think MidJourney, Stable
1: Diffusion, that Bart thing, and various other models that have interesting names like Claude and others. So they are out there, and they are looking for ways to be used and it's the beginning of a journey that has already picked up a lot of speed. But what is it? (laughs) So AI generally are algorithms that derive patterns from large amounts of data to make predictions. You make predictions to make decisions or you make predictions in the form of what something should look like. So large language models, text-based generative AI makes predictions about what a piece of text would look like that responds to a certain prompt.
0: Image models might make a prediction about what the Pope might look like in a white puffer jacket by Balenciaga. And
1: you might have seen this around the internet, or what would it look like if Donald Trump got arrested by the police? So generative AI generate stuff. They use the patterns that get inscribed in these very, very large artificial neural networks to basically divine what would a text prompt look like as a picture.
0: So for instance I can ask it what you would look like as a Pixar character and it would give me a really cool Pixar character that resembles you. And in the case of large language models, these models are trained on what is basically the internet. And that does mean everything from Wikipedia and the BBC to, you know, that subreddit that you wish you had never opened and should not have forwarded to other people. But all kinds of text, really. Theater scripts, chat conversations, code,
1: computer code, yes. Same with images. Same with images. So they embody a lot of patterns of all kinds of different image styles, of all kinds of different kinds of text.
0: And it can do some amazing things. We should mention again that these are, for instance, in the case of GPT, language models, not knowledge models, but they can do amazing things.
1: So another question would be, What are they actually good for? What can we do with them?
0: Well, we can do a lot of assistive tasks. Think of them as your assistant. You know, it might be a young grad student who just come in, doesn't know a lot, but is very eager to help and provide you with as much stuff as they can gather or help organize things for you or put them in specific formats. So you can ask it to write you ad copy about something, transform it into a Google ad that fits the character limit and so on. You can ask it to put information into tables or summarize information for you. A lot of assistive tasks and the internet is full of examples.
1: And that assistant, that intern is not perfect, makes mistakes, so you can't stop using your own brain and it can also be really creative. Creative in ways that sometimes exceed what we as humans could actually do.
0: So rather than trolling for hours for stock photography, you can just describe the image that you want and get a picture that is, you know, as good as the Pope in a white Balenciaga puffer jacket. (laughs) which already makes
1: our life more interesting because we use a lot of visuals in PowerPoints. And now you can just go and create what you like rather than spending time finding stuff on the internet.
0: And this is where some people have started to find this really useful, writing that cover letter for your new job by giving it the job description and your CV and telling it to figure out what a good cover letter would look like or getting it to help you write your next report. But on the other hand, people have been let's say, panicking about it taking over jobs? If I'm a creative person or if I'm in advertising, if I'm in communication, even if I'm a lawyer, is this coming to replace me?
1: Well, back to first principles, it's a language model, not a knowledge model. These things are not reliable. They will not replace people, but those who know how to work them, will be way more effective and productive. So they're really assistants that work best when you work best with them. So they're not likely to replace us, but they're likely to change the way we work.
0: So they're not coming for our jobs, but rather they are coming for our job descriptions.
1: They will require us to acquire new skills and organizations will think about how jobs will actually be sliced, how they will be cut and how tasks might be redistributed across different roles.
0: Generative AI is moving really, really quickly. So lots of people have rightfully had some concerns about it because those models are trained on lots and lots of data, much of which is copyrighted or belongs to people who might not necessarily well, have Social media, to right? So we post stuff, things that go into
1: those training data sets are created by people and sometimes includes quite personal information when it comes to social media profiles or the profiles people have on Publicly facing websites like academics. We all have profile pages that contain a lot of information about us that is publicly available and would be ingested into those models.
0: And this will really not be an easy thing to solve because the data doesn't get stored in this model. It's more information about the data, which is why we've seen all the conversations about copyright. Is there actual copyright infringement if it's in the style of, but none of the images are copied or stored?
1: And this is really quite different to how we used to do computing, right? People think about AI as having this vast data that it's using, but the data that is used to train is not actually in the model. The model is vast statistical functions that store likenesses, that store patterns. It doesn't store any one cat picture it stores catness, what a cat is like. So it doesn't really store any personal information about anyone in a traditional sense that you could look up, that you could you know, change or that you could remove.
0: So me asking you to remove my data from your AI model would mean at this point retraining the yeah, model?
1: it's completely infeasible, right? You cannot retrain the entire model. That takes weeks and weeks to do. An enormous amount of energy to produce a model like GPT-3 or GPT-4, so it's not feasible to do that. So legislation regulators will have to find a way to square up the requirements of something like GDPR and how this type of technology actually works, and we don't have an answer to that
0: as yet. And we said at the very beginning that this is happening very, very quickly. There's a lot of visibility and a lot of hype. There's a lot of hype about where this technology is going as well we've seen showcases of kind of multimodal generative ai where you stitch together language models with image models 2d models with 3d models generating video from 2d images for
1: example like a fly through of a house it looks like a drone is flying but it's just AI generating stuff.
0: Imagine what you could do with kind of Roomba footage or using an API to say, why don't you generate a recipe for a healthy meal, you know, put the shopping list in my shopping cart and also tweet out pictures of it to all of my friends.
1: That's really what Silicon Valley is excited about at the moment, to combine the idea of generative AI language models and all those APIs of various services to create automated services which at once promise to create new services new business models but also open up the possibility of you know creating content noise misinformation at scale and completely swamp social media
0: but before we get to the misinformation, disinformation, some nefarious uses of this technology. Let's remember, and this hasn't been featured as much in the news, there are some amazing new uses of generative AI in even larger language models in, for instance, the medical field. What did make the news was AlphaFold, a project by DeepMind. It's a company acquired by Google that managed to predict the structure of of every protein known to man. So a generative AI basically generating
1: protein structures, a very particular application of this kind of
0: technology. And the idea here is that this could lead to follow-on research where we could use generative AI to make up new proteins to achieve certain purposes. And in this instance, you can think about curing cancer, attacking cancer cells in the body. The same way we imagine pictures on MidJourney or on DALI, You could now imagine drugs. So at that intersection of these large generative models and other fields of research might lie some really interesting things beyond, you know, cute new cat pictures on the internet. And that
1: tentativeness, this might lie something, has some people really concerned because much like we do not fully understand the black box that is these large scale models we also do not fully understand what we can actually do with that and where one person uses the model to fold proteins or predict proteins other people might use it to predict you know more dangerous things or generate you know misinformation at scale or invent new explosives or new ways of fooling people, tricking people into doing things that they don't necessarily want to do. So some people have called for a moratorium.
0: Indeed, there's been a now very famous letter signed by Elon Musk and thousands of others basically demanding a pause in the development of artificial intelligence and in particular the generative models like the large language models. They have called on everyone to immediately pause this for at least six months till we figure out what this means. And I think whilst we appreciate that this is developing much faster than we figure out how to accommodate it in our society and our businesses, we're in agreement with the people who have called to have something in place in case we do stop this development. Because at this point, we would just stop this development. And then what? And then what? So There is no body in place, there is no structure, no institution, no organization, no set of legislators that can figure out what to do with it. We'd have the same problem in six months from now.
1: And we'll put a link to Ezra Klein's podcast in the show notes who makes that point quite eloquently. But I also want to point out that, fortunately, again, language, not knowledge models, we're still dealing with a probabilistic model, not with a real intelligence. So, all the attempts on the internet of trying to create a chain of automated language models that would do harm, like, you know, telling a model to figure out how to destroy humanity, has so far yielded very little results other than some automated tweets around, ooh, I'm going to come for you, I'm going to get you. So fortunately, what makes these models quite interesting, this probabilistic nature, which gives us all this creative potential to explore, also means that the automation potential for doing, you know, the kind of world destroying harm are limited. The problem will likely lie somewhere else.
0: And that is in misalignment in incentives, thinking about who is building this technology and what they're building them for. What's the business models? And currently it's companies like Microsoft, like Google, like Meta that are involved in developing those models. And most of their business models rely on advertising, on capturing people's attention, on mining their data and so on
1: whenever we think about where could this be used and the answer is search engines or social media or marketing the answer is likely that the business model underpinning this is advertising and then the step from using the model to predict ad copy to using the model to actually automate how to influence people to buy things and create content that will engage people to give up more of their time or indeed money, is a very small step.
0: So not yet clear where this technology is going, but a few things we do know. One of them is that In Australia, we had low business adoption of AI to begin with. This was the Productivity Commission findings that only about 30 or 34 percent of organizations actually use AI. The fact that ASX 200 board members are ill-prepared for this new wave of technology, as are most of us, we definitely will need to upskill, reskill, rethink how we do our work.
1: And when we say we, we really mean, you know, the two of us as much as we mean anyone else, because... We are at a watershed moment where these technologies will touch upon many parts of our lives and how we do business as an economy and as a society.
0: And much like we had to figure out how to live and work with the advent of graphical user interfaces or the internet or the iPhone, we will need to figure out how to live and work with generative AI.
1: In all its various forms, yes.
0: And at the University of Sydney Business School, we're trying to do our bit We've got a new micro-credential on artificial intelligence fluency, trying to upskill, reskill people into how not just generative AI, but AI in general will enter their lives. So not about coding, but about figuring out what it means in your context and in your organization. And we will put all those links in the show notes.
1: And we'll do more than that. We'll put a link in the show notes to a new initiative that the Business School is launching, Sydney Executive Plus which has at its core lifelong learning and upskilling, not just around artificial intelligence, generative AI, but all kinds of topics that will prepare businesses and individuals for the fourth industrial revolution, for this period of time that we find ourselves in at the moment that changes so many aspects of what we do.
0: Not just about technology, but about how we think about sustainability or inclusive leadership, inclusive management.
1: So all those skills that leaders and executive need to be prepared for the future.
0: Speaking of the future, this is also a watershed moment for us because after more than six years doing the future this week, it is now time to do more than just talk about the future. so we're gonna go ahead and create the future
1: together with lots of leaders in the field to put our energy behind a new creative project for upskilling,
0: reskilling,
1: lifelong learning, finding new forms of engagement with businesses and executives in trying to figure out how we can productively prepare Australia and its workforce for that exciting future.
0: So for the last time, thanks for listening.
1: Thanks for listening and join us in whatever else lies ahead.
0: And before we really sign off, an enormous thank you to our Sydney Business Insights team for making the future this week possible for all these years. And a particular shout out to Megan Wedge, without whom we could have never made this a success. Woohoo! Woohoo, Megan! And thanks all of you for listening.
1: Not just today, but all those episodes. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Future This Week from the University of Sydney Business School. Sandra Peter is the Director of Sydney Business Insights and Kai Rima is Professor of Information Technology and Organisation. Connect with us on LinkedIn, Twitter and WeChat and follow, like or leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any weird
0: or wonderful topics for us to discuss, send them to sbi at sydney.edu.au.